If you have a Bible, would you like to turn to Matthew 1, uh, which is the start of the New Testament, which is not really halfway through the Bible. It's kind of in it. Matthew 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Salmon, not Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, David, was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram. Jeram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah, great name. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatel, Sheatel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Ilakim, Ilakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. I just wanted to play you something, just to start us off. And again, yeah, there we go. I wonder what comes to mind when you hear that song. Maybe it's Piers Brosnan in Greece trying to sing. For me, it's something very different. It's the 90s chat show, Knowing Me, Knowing You. Aha! Hosted by one of my all-time heroes, Alan Partridge. Many of you may never have heard of Alan Partridge, um, but everything may be clear now you know that one of my all-time heroes is Alan Partridge. In in Knowing Me, Knowing You, aha, Alan Partridge gets to know people by connecting. Well, actually, he doesn't get to know anyone, really. He fails completely. But he tries to get to know people through their stories. And it's a really, it's a silly take on what I think is a very important part of everyone here's who you are, your story. Who we are, who you are, who I am, is tied up in your story. Just have a little think about your story. Think about where you came from. Think about where you were born. Think about where your parents came from. Think about where your parents were born. Think about all the good people in your story. Think about all the bad people in your story. Think about all the good people doing good things, all the bad people doing bad things, or all the good people who did bad things, or all the bad people who may have surprised you and done good things. Stories are really important. Let me tell you about a story of a man called John. 
John's parents were born in West Yorkshire, in the north of England, and they moved to Liverpool, where John was born. John moved to Southport as a little baby, where he grew up. Tragically, age three, his father died. His mum remarried, and uh, as he was growing up, he would attend a, a little Methodist youth group just in the town that he grew up in, but he didn't really think anything of it. He applied quite late uh, to university, just after he finished his A-levels, and he got a place very late, last minute, at Manchester Unity, University studying electrical engineering. Because he applied so late, he could only get um, a room in a, a halls of residence that was full of Methodist training to be Methodist ministers. So he was in a Methodist training college when he was studying electrical engineering. At the end of his first year, his stepdad died. And halfway through his second year, his mum died. It was tragic. His group of friends were all Christians. They were all ministers. And they got round him, and they supported him, and they supported him through the rest of his university career. He eventually graduated. And then he married his childhood sweetheart, and he moved to Cumbria, where he got a job in a shipyard. His, uh, he, a couple years in, just two years in, his, his marriage fell apart and ended in a divorce, and he didn't really know what to do. He found himself eventually in a pub called the Hope and Anchor, and he met a woman in this pub, and they got together, they fell in love, and just before kind of, you know, they got engaged, um, this woman said to John, said, look, this is only going to work if you come to my church. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to work. And he said, okay, easy, fine. He's been in that church for 40 years, serving that local community. John's my dad. Your story can be restored no matter what. Matthew's genealogy is a story about who, about all of these people, but it's also a story of you and it's a story of me. It's a tale that tells us that your story can be restored no matter what. At first glance, it's quite easy to gloss over all those names. I was very impressed that Maddie learned the Hebrew way to say those names, which is very, very impressive. It's very good. It's quite easy to gloss over all of those names and think, nah, this isn't important. But this is really important. It's so important. There's loads of important stuff in here. In the genealogy, Matthew is recording history. But more than that, he's recording the story of God's faithfulness throughout the ages. People read history in lots of different ways. And the, the way that they read it can end in global conflict. But here... Matthew is telling the story of God's faithfulness. The way God sees history is often very different to the way that we see history. And it's very important for the readers at the time, and it's important for you and for me today. Matthew uses these people in this story for a purpose. He uses them because they're all actually really unlikely people. Unlikely people who play a part, a crucial part, in an unlikely story. And perhaps today, you might feel like an unlikely person. You might feel overlooked. You might feel unlovable, unseen. Well, the story of the genealogy that we heard earlier tells us that today, no matter how you feel, no matter what your circumstances are, 
your story can be restored. Let me tell you a story of an unlikely person. There was a woman whose life was hard, real hard. She lived in a city that had a reputation as a bit of a dive. It wasn't a nice place. It was corrupt. It was a dark place to live. It wasn't safe. Her life was so hard, she became a sex worker in that city. She lived on the outskirts of the city. And even in that city, people would have looked down on her. But her story was used by God. In fact, more alarmingly, perhaps, for us today, even as she continued to be a sex worker, God used her. God used her, her lies to her friends, her lies to the people who she lived with, to save her life and the life of her family and her friends. Her child was a man called Boaz, who's part of this genealogy. Her name was Rahab. God used the unlikely Rahab, the unlikely sex worker, to work out his plan. And perhaps you're looking at your life and you're thinking, I'm unlikely. Maybe you feel like you've made some questionable decisions, some questionable moral decisions. Wherever you are now, God sees you. But to the bottom of who you are, he loves you completely. And like Rahab is important, is integral to this story, you are integral to his story today as well. Let me tell you the other sto- another story of another unlikely person. There was a woman whose husband, brothers, and mother had fled famine in their home country. Just think about a Somali family fleeing today and landing in the UK. They traveled far as migrants, and eventually they landed in this, in this country where they were considered outsiders. The men married women from that country, but the men tragically died. The mother of one of, of the men she decides to move back to her home country. But one of the ladies who'd married one of her sons says, you know what, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stick with you. Because her life was kind of completely torn apart by now. So she sticks with this lady. And they move back to the mother's home country. And they, eat, they settle in this land. And they cling on to some kind of existence. But it's tough. It's hard. Until... The woman, she marries a man, a wealthy man, who takes her into his household. They have a child called Obed. She was called Ruth. Ruth was part of this story of God's faithfulness. A woman who everyone else may have overlooked. She wasn't overlooked by God. God saw Ruth and he chose her and he, he used her as part of his plan. And maybe today you might feel overlooked, pushed to one side, outcast. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, you might feel on the edge. Maybe you're single or divorced or separated or or foreign and you don't feel like you fit in. God sees you and he chooses you and he's going to use you in his plan. He attaches so much significance to you. It's not like It's not like he just notices you. He notices you and gives you so much significance that he's going to use you in his plan. You're significant in his eyes. Let me tell you about another person, a woman, a young girl. She was born 
kind of really out of a significant family. There was, no, there was nothing to shout about about her lineage. There wasn't loads of importance attached to her. She was very young when she became pregnant. And she was pregnant before she got married. She had to leave her home, and she lived as a refugee for much of her life as a young parent in a foreign country. Her name was Mary. Matthew's genealogy is fascinating because it draws this line of people, and you follow them all. We followed them all. Abraham, through all these people, Jesse, David, Hezekiah, Jeconiah. It follows them down to this man called Joseph. But Joseph, he doesn't really have much to do with the birth of Jesus. Mary is inserted into this story. An outsider, someone who's outside of the, the lineage, she's hugely part of God's plan. She's critical to God's plan. And this might sound normal to our modern ears. You might be thinking, well, that, that's, that's kind of fine. Of course, God uses Mary. But the fact that Matthew talks about Mary and the fact that he mentions these four women, actually, you could read into it five women in this, in this genealogy, is telling us something really countercultural. It's totally countercultural to the people who would have heard it. And maybe even today, it's quite countercultural. And the fact that Matthew is explaining that God is using women would have blown their minds. It would have been outrageous to say it. God is saying here that if you're a woman, God will use you. In fact, I think he's saying more than that. He doesn't just put women on an equal pedestal with men. The story of Mary shows us something different. The Orthodox Church called Mary God-bearer. God-bearer. They attach so much significance to Mary, to women, that it's almost like they're in a different category to men in the Bible. God leans towards women, perhaps more than men in the, in the scriptures. And it isn't that God uses them as a second-class citizen just to have babies. They're critical. Women are critical to God's plan. Women are, are like key to God working in the world. So if you're a woman today, you can know that you don't just have a role to play. It's not just about being there to support. You're vitally important. You're significant. And it's not just to do with having kids for the men. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, God is going to use you. Single, married, divorced, kids, no kids. God doesn't mind. He will use you to birth his plan. My friend, she's called Pam. She doesn't have any children. She's single. She's originally from Liverpool. Uh, she moved to London in the 60s. And, and she, used to, she had quite a colourful story. She used to tell me about these substances that she would take that would make her act and feel a certain way. Later on in her life, she developed a faith in Jesus Christ and a prayer life. And she joined a little church with 20 other people, kind of similar stage to her, single women, and they would meet every Sunday. But they looked around and they noticed that for us here, beyond us, there isn't a church. It's, it's only us 20 people here today. So they approached a church down the road and they said these words, these exact words. We don't want them to shut us down when we're gone. 
So the church partnered with this, this other church, and they sent a little team to help replant this church. It's called St. Peter's in Bethnal Green. And Pam, she was the energy, she was the driving force behind that partnership. And now 12 years later, St. Peter's is a thriving church in East London. It's full of people, and it's got a mission out in the community. I was part of that church for four years, and I got married there. Without Pam, that church and my life would look very different. The restoration of that church, of that area, the bettering of the world, was birthed through Pam. God used Pam to bring about his plan. An older, single, crazy lady from Liverpool. Women have a key part to play in the restoration of the world, in the restoration of your story and of my story. The second thing to say is that your story is part of a bigger story. And even though it might feel incomplete, your story is complete. I'm fascinated by maps. You may be interested in football or rugby or Harry Potter or something like that. I love maps. I spend so much time just looking at maps. You know, procrastination for lots of people is on um, uh, Instagram and things like that, TikTok, those things. I look at Google Maps. That's why I get, I get addicted to Google Maps. I love them. I love maps. They're great. But, uh, but the thing about maps is that maps tell a bigger story. But often the maps that you're looking at, they are incomplete. They're not the full picture. You could put all kinds of data on a map, but you've got to pick very carefully what kind of data you want to put on the map. Let, let me explain that to you. Here is a map. This is a map of uh, the British Isles. It says the United Kingdom, but it's the British Isles. So there's lots of information on there, lots of things that are very important and very interesting. There's towns, there's cities, there's nations, there's borders, there's roads. There's lots of information on there, but that map is incomplete. If you put every road on there, it would look very different. Here's another map. This is a road map. I don't know if anybody remembers road atlases. Does anyone remember a road atlas? Who still has a road atlas in the back of their car? Yes. Yes, I love a road atlas. I used to spend hours in the back of my parents' cars. We were driving to Scotland or wherever, just looking at the road atlas. Nowadays, you kind of sling your kids an iPad and Disney Plus, but then it was road atlases. Love a road atlas. There's lots of information on there, loads, but it's incomplete. It doesn't show you everything. There's loads of other things you could put on a map. This is quite a cool map. Uh, this, this shows population density, and it's skewed uh, based on what, what's big and what's, where there's lots of people, where there's less people. That's a fascinating map. I love that map. Uh, here's another great map. What do you think this map tells us? Rainfall? 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 This is a map showing the density of people who say scone rhymes with gone. <laughs> scone is... Scone, red, scone is blue. It's fascinating. You can Google that later. This is another really interesting map. I find this one fascinating. What do you think that is? Sedimentary bedrock? What do you think that is? Rainfall? Rainfall? This is a map showing what people wear at the temperature freezing. So, um, Shirtless is in the northeast of England. Shirt for Scotland and most of the north of England. Coat and shirt in the, I think that's called the Midlands, the green bit. 
uh, coat, jumper, shirt, and then um, for those of us in London to Bristol, coat, jacket, jumper, shirt, vest, <laughs> and merino base layers as well. Uh, and anybody know what this map might be? Contrast, rainfall versus sunshine, perhaps? This is a map showing the density of Greggs versus pret in the United <laughs> Kingdom. These maps are telling us a story, but there's so much data for a map that we can't fit on a map. There's so much that we want to put in there. It's that they're all, in a way, incomplete. They don't tell us the whole picture. The genealogy is a bit like a map. It's telling us a story. It's telling us a story of God's past. It's telling us a story of the of the present now, and it's pointing to a future. And it's telling us a complete story. Like the map has loads of information on it, this has loads of information on it. And Matthew's genealogy is setting up a narrative that's gonna tell us a story as well. A story of a future kingdom, and it's gonna tell a story of your story. It's gonna tell the story of your completed story. So maybe you're sat here tonight, and you're thinking about your life, and you're thinking, it feels incomplete. It doesn't feel like it's finished. The genealogy gives you hope and says that your life can be complete, can be finished in a good way. How does it do that? How does it do it? Verse 17 is the key. Verse 17 says this. You might want to just find it in your Bibles. It says this. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. It seems a bit random to talk about 14. What does 14 mean? What's that all about? Why are you so obsessed with 14, Matthew? In the Bible, the number seven is significant. And do you know what seven times two is? 14, great, there we go, maths. That's all the maths we need to know. So the number seven is significant because, as we read in Genesis, God rested from his work on the seventh day. The Sabbath, the seventh day, is is a symbolism. And it's more than just symbolism of let's have a day off and chill and watch Netflix. It's the symbolism of God entering rest. In the Mosaic law, every seven years, the farmer uh, was to let the land lie fallow, to give it a chance to replenish its nutrients. So the seventh year represents rest too. And finally, Leviticus 25 tells us that the last year of a seven period of seven years, so that's year 49, is to be a time of jubilee. It's a time when the slaves were to be set free in Israel, debts were to be forgiven, people were to enter this rest. So in verse 17, we find ourselves, if we do the quick maths, at the end of the sixth seven. There's seven from Abraham to David, 14, two sevens. There's 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, two sevens. And there's 14 from the Babylon to Jesus, that's six sevens. And Jesus finds us at the seventh seven, at the year of Jubilee. This is critical in scripture. 
It's a time of rest. Jesus is going to complete everything. And rest comes when there is completion. And Jesus Christ was the only complete person ever to live on this planet. So you can look at your life and you can say, you might say, my life doesn't feel complete. You might feel like you're striving for something. You might feel like you're striving to be seen or feel like you're striving to be loved. Feel like you're striving for something at work. In Jesus Christ, you can rest. You can know his completion. For all of those relationships that feel frayed, all of those things that you haven't got the time to work out, for all of the emotions that you feel, that you feel like maybe this shouldn't feel like this, I feel like there needs to be completion, you can have rest because of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul uses this phrase, Christ in me. And when God sees you, if you call yourself a Christian, he sees Christ in you. Christ is at work in your life through the Holy Spirit. And so when God sees you, he sees a completed life, a life that's reached completion because Jesus Christ has come to live in you. Our stories are complete in him. Matthew's genealogy tells us the story of a group of people with seemingly incomplete lives. And it is really easy to read the genealogy and to think, okay, I need to be more like David or more like Solomon or whatever it is. But actually, this is news. This isn't advice. The Old Testament isn't a group of people to be emulated and to try and act like. It's a story of God's faithfulness. It's a story of God's completion. It's a story of God's completion in Jesus Christ. And now today, we're part of that family, that complete family. And we can live in hope of a glorious future. You have value because God made you and he sees you and he chooses to use you. And you have value because you have a complete life in Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you our lives today. Whether or not we feel loved or unloved, we feel like unseen or seen. And we ask, Jesus, that you come into our lives again, maybe even for the first time. We choose to put ourselves in this story. In Jesus' name, amen.